All right, if you have your notes, uh, I think we'll finish the notes, and, and I'm probably going to just move on through. I don't have the notes for the second part of this, but we should be able to get on through maybe some more of this tonight. I don't know if we'll completely finish, but we'll, we'll try. We're talking about this, this series on being Baptist, and so we've gotten to the I in the B-A-P-T-I. So B is the biblical authority and lordship of Christ. A was the autonomy of the local church. And then we had P is the priesthood of believers. The T is two ordinances of baptism and, and communion or the Lord's Supper. And then last week we started this one on individual soul liberty. Now, I, I asked last week, and I'm going to ask you again tonight because there may be some different people in here, but how many of you have heard of that, that term, had heard of it before we talked about it last week? I don't think there was anybody in here last week that heard that term. You'll understand it, and I think you would all, after you heard what I was saying last week, you would agree with what I was teaching. But it's just not something we talk a lot about. Individual soul liberty, bottom line, if we just put it in a, in a sentence, is you, you, you have freedom to believe what you want to believe. But it's, it's, uh, it's like Raymond says often, uh, choose to sin, choose to suffer. You choose, you get to choose, you get, God has given you the option to choose. You have free will. But you don't get to choose the consequences of your free will. If you choose, if you choose to reject Christ, then you'll go to hell. And you don't, once you're, you, know, you don't get then to saying, hey, you know what, I changed my mind. You know, there's a point where there's no coming back. I told the kids, we went to the Grand Canyon, I don't years ago. Was, did we go to Grand Canyon on that trip? No, I think it was like 10 years ago. The kids were little. But I told him when we got to the Grand Canyon, I said, listen, you can't be dumb right here. You can't be aloof because if you go over, the only way you come out is in a body bag. I mean, they bring you out in a, in a, on a stretcher because you don't survive that. It's not one of those things you go, oh, that was dumb. I, I'll do a do-over. I won't do it that way again. No, you won't do it that way at all. You won't do anything again because, you, you know, you make the choice to not be cautious right there and you go over, it's done. So, you know, they listened. They listened. But that's kind of what this is about, is, is that we as be, not just believers, but every person on earth gets to choose what they believe or choose what they don't want to believe. But you don't get to control the consequences of that. And so that, that's really what we're talking about with individual soul liberty. Uh, so every individual description, every individual has a God-given right to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right and is responsible to God alone for those choices. That's in a nutshell what, what this means. Now, we started out the biblical doctrine of, of soul liberty. We looked at some things about, um, well, let me just read this again. In discussing uh, soul liberty, we are reminded from the scriptures that God created individuals, not masses. Now, I think the phrase I was trying to find last week was a... Um, I don't even know if I can call it now, collective salvation. Maybe that's the word. Obama talks about this stuff. Obama talks about this collective salvation. It's not a personal salvation. That's a man that has no faith. He, he, the church he was in was a, race, a racist church that screamed about basically the teaching was you have collective salvation in that the whole mass of whatever dynamic or group you, you want it to be, then they get whatever it is they're wanting. Whatever it is they're wanting to change. That's a, that's a social salvation. It's a social salvation. That, that's, soul liberty is not about that at all. We individually, we individually have to answer. So according, accordingly, the doctrine of soul liberty or soul competency is firmly rooted in Scripture. And so we saw that. We began that looking at several things. So God created men and women as individuals. Adam and Eve, first two, they were absolutely individual. 
They got to make their own decisions. They didn't have one mind to where one could do, you know, if one decided we're doing this, then they both did that or whatever. They had individual minds, they, and she chose to do what she did, and then he chose to do what he did. So God created men and women as individuals. It wasn't just a mob of people. He creates us as individuals. God ministers to men and women as individuals. So he ministers to us. We looked at several verses there, but each one of us, uh, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So when God works in our life, He works individually. Praise God. Are you glad about that? I am, but here's the thing. I don't, I don't, I, if God's ministering to Brent, I mean, God may bless me through the, through the way he's ministering to Brent and then work through Brent, but the blessing to me is not the same as the way God, when God works to us. He works through us individually. Each one of you in here, you, 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 know, you don't have to have somebody coming and advocating for you and going, all right, Lord, would you give the, you know, you, you don't, we're not go-betweens. He's going to minister to you. So he ministers to individuals. Uh, third thing we looked at was men and women make decisions as individuals. You make your own decision. You know, that's why you know, we, talk, we, we, we talk about this with children, okay? So just because mom and dad are believers and you bring your kids up in church, you can, you can do all the right things. Here's what parents sometimes, they just beat themselves up. Now, we can mess things up. We can absolutely, we can do things. I think I said it like this before. We can either build... We can either build the way that we work with our kids and even the way we minister to other people. We can, we, we're laying down stones, and we can either be building steps to, to get them to God or, or things that we do, mistakes that we make. We can build walls with those same blocks. We can build walls that hinder our kids from getting to Christ. Sometimes people bring their kids up in a way that they, they choose to, I don't want no part of that. And it's because of things maybe parents did. But you have to understand the child, as they grow up and come to an age of understanding, age we maybe call that the age of accountability. I've heard people say, well, what, what age is that? Well, there's not a set age in the Scripture, it's a, but it's the point when someone gets to where they understand. They understand right and wrong. When they come to, that, when they come to an understanding of right and wrong, they're, they're at a place then where they're accountable. You know, they can't act like, well, I didn't know. You know they do know because there's a... And it's younger than... I think it's younger than we might like to think it is. So it's important that we, we minister our kids. But here's the bottom line. Your children have to choose for themselves what they're going to believe and how they're going to go. My prayer, my prayer for, forever with our kids was that our kids would come to faith in an early age. Jordan trusted Christ at eight. She was eight years old. Jesse was, uh, I think Jesse had just turned seven. I think it was the night, maybe of his birthday or or the day after his birthday or something. It was right around there. And um, he was seven when he made that decision. But our children have to make that decision. You can't make it for them. Okay, so uh, every individual, men and women, make decisions individually. And then the, the last one we looked at before we continue on was that God teaches men and women as individuals. He ministers to us individually, but he teaches us individually. It's not just... You know, it's not just that, that everybody's learning the same thing at once. As you, you have the opportunity, as you read the Word of God, God will speak to you. He teaches you. I shared last week John Phillips' commentaries I have in my office, and I had a chance to visit with him and spend some time with him. And I asked him where he got his education, where did he you know, get so Bible smart. And he said, he said, the same place you can, young man. 
The Holy Spirit of God is the greatest teacher. I thought, wow. You know, everybody I'd ever talked to says, you ought to go to this school or that school. You got to do this. You got to do that. All that. He said, man, read the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit of God teach you. I mean, as he does. And if we believe, if we believe in, you know, this, 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 the priesthood of every believer, now that's not to say, oh, I'll just go home then. I don't need to come back here. God has commanded us to do this. He's, he's commanded us to gather together. Now, I don't know if the way we do this is, is exactly the way that they did it then. I, I know they didn't gather in buildings like this in that day, but they gathered together, and there were those who taught. And we see in Scripture later on, things are writing that it's very clear. We have pastors, we have elders, we have those who teach. There are teachers, there are prophets, there are evangelists. There's different giftings that God has given to people to minister at all. But that doesn't take away the fact that when you go home tonight, you can open your Bible, and the, the Holy Spirit of God will speak to you and teach you as you read the Word of God. You don't, you don't, you know, I think I shared this, uh, I'm talking faster, aren't I? I'm stumbling up on my words. I about passed out last night. I went walking, and I, I hadn't walked, didn't done much in a month. And uh, I, I went out trying to walk, and I was walking too fast because I, I hadn't done anything. I got about a quarter mile around, a quarter lap around the track, and all of a sudden my head went, things got white, and I had to go down. It's the first time I've gone down in, in this whole thing. But I had to go down one knee a minute, and it's, caught my breath and got my head, and I was able to go on through, and I slowed down. I walked a mile. I don't know why I said that. Oh, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking faster. I know I'm feeling better because I'm talking faster. My brain is actually, I'm not so foggy. But God teaches us individually. You're going to learn. You learn as we study together. But man, go home and open your Bible. Let the Holy Spirit of God work in you. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, then He can teach you. You just got to learn to just read it and then learn to listen. Let Him share with you. And let the Bible teach the Bible. You know, don't go, well, you know, oh, this verse says that. That must mean, and you can take one verse and you can pervert it to, to, to mean something the Scriptures don't mean at all. You have to compare Scripture to Scripture because the Scriptures never conflict. If they conflict, then they wouldn't be true. If, if this is true and that's true and they're saying different things, then one's wrong. So the Scriptures never conflict. So get in there, mine it out. Dig out the truth in there, okay? So God teaches us individuals. Now, next, next blank in your, in your outline there is that God sees us as individuals. He sees us as individuals. Numerous New Testament passages illustrate that God deals with everyone on earth as an individual, not, nearly, not merely as part of a nation, community, or group. Acts 10, 34, and 35 records the words of Peter in an encounter with Cornelius, the first Gentile convert of the church age. And, and in that verse it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Now, that's not, that's not just, okay, somebody fears God. You understand all Scripture is in, that's someone who fears God, meaning they have come to faith in Christ. That's the only way anyone is saved, through a personal relationship with Christ. And so that's what that means, is to fear God is to mean you've come to that place of, of into a relationship with Christ. But what he is saying is that regardless of where you are, what nation, what group of people you're in, what your race is, what your gender is, none of that matters if you trust God. God does not show partiality. Paul added that in the church of Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11 uh, where there is neither Jew, uh, whether Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. 
So we conclude that God sees every individual as a sinner in need of salvation. Romans 3, verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged, charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. All, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have, they have all turned aside. They, they have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. You jump down to Romans 3.23, you're very familiar with this verse. For all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God. God receives any individual who believes on his son Jesus, Romans 10, 9, 9, through, 9 uh, through 13, uh, regardless, again, of race, uh, color, race, creed, any other factor. There, none of those factors matter. If you come to Jesus by faith, then, then uh, God receives you, Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. It can't be any clearer. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call on the Lord by faith, He's going to to save. When someone responds to that, that, then God accepts them. Furthermore, we see that within the family of God, there are no haves and have-nots, only complete equally among believers. We're all equal. Matthew 23, verse 8. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the, uh, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Uh, do not call anyone on earth your father. This is a problem we would have with the Catholic Church. They, they, they you know, calling me father, calling a, a pastor, a preacher, or a priest, or whatever, calling him father. It's, it's, it's a conflict to what the Word of God says. Should not be. Um, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who sits in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, so, so God sees us as individuals, and then the next point here is that God judges individuals. The judgment's not on, it won't be on, a, a, this, as I said this last week, it won't be when, when we go to judgment, God's not going to pull this church together and everyone that's a member of this church is going, all right, now let's judge the church, this body, and y'all all are going to have the same judgment. No, we're, it's an individual judgment. He will judge each one of us in here. And so somebody that's been in church 80 years and are lost as a ball in high grass, you know what, that happens? It does. It happens. There are people who are in church their whole life they serve in areas, and they're lost because they've been doing a religious practice. They've never truly been born again. All this is great. Being part of the church is great. Serving is great. But if you don't know the Lord, it's useless. That ain't going to get you in heaven. You, 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 can, you can go work in the food pantry and work in a clothes closet and walk, walk old ladies across the street, you know, and you can do a million good things. It won't get you into heaven. The only thing is a personal relationship with Christ, and God will judge us as individuals. We got, without getting to, into uh, a detailed discussion of the topic, the Bible clearly teaches the sovereignty of God in all things. Among many scriptural passages, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our, uh, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. 
Psalm 103, 19 adds, The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. And Ephesians confidently proclaims, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So we understand God's sovereignty. God is over all. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. He is sovereign. There's, there's no one above Him. Yet within the parameters of God's divine sovereignty, from the human standpoint, God holds each person accountable for his choices in life. And this really gets to what we're talking about with soul liberty. You have the freedom to choose. but God will judge you based on your choice. And we see that, that we have to make a choice. Verses such as Joshua 24, 15, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. I think he could, you know, God, God, the Holy Spirit, inspired this writing, could have very easily have said, those of you who God picks to be Christians, you will choose to, to serve God, and the rest of you will go to hell. If that's what he meant, he could have said it that way. Okay? But he says, you have a choice to make. You've heard truth. Now choose. Are you going to choose to serve God? Are you going to choose to serve Satan? you got a choice. Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. What does that sound like? That's pretty clear. God has set a choice before you. There's a choice there. Okay? I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death. There's life. There's death. Blessing and cursing. Life and blessing. Death and cursing. Therefore, choose life. God says, I've set the choices before you. Choose life. You have the choice. Choose life. It's amazing to me. The people that reject the gospel. I was listening to, I was listening, I was coming down the road this morning, I was listening to Acts in um, around 16, 17, 18, and you hear, you hear in there the pushback against the teaching of Christ. You know, that's one of the things that just confirms for me again and again and again that we're right. You can believe anything today. You could say that one of these chairs is God, and I'm going to worship that, and the world will be fine with you saying that. You could say, you've got to come to that chair, repent to that chair, and, and believe that chair, and that chair, this chair is the holy God, and you have to believe it. And there are people that will be absolutely fine. They'll fight for your right to believe that. But you bring up the name of Jesus... And I don't care in what context you bring up Jesus, there is, there is instant pushback. There's no, other, there's no other faith that I see. It amazes me. Look in our country today. Look at the acceptance in our nation of Islam. The, the homosexual, transgender community embracing Islam. I don't guess they, they ain't got sense enough to actually read they don't have sense enough to actually read up on the, the religion they want to stand for and support. Because the fact is, if they get in power, they're either going to be thrown off of a building or stoned in a street. I mean, that's, that's what happens. That's that religion. It's a religion. You talk about Christianity. It's not a religion of tolerance. Christianity is the most tolerant religion. Which, which, true Christianity isn't really a religion. It's a relationship. You have a choice to make. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. 
John 1, 12, For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. But as many as received him, it's a choice, folks. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. These verses indicate that men and women are responsible for God, uh, before God for the individual choices they make in life. Thus, men and women will be judged as individuals before God. Now, the biblical Greek word for judge or judgment is this word crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S. And um, as in English, Greek employs, uh, employs this word judge in two senses. In one sense, it means condemnation. When he talks about judgment, the great white throne of judgment, that is a judgment of condemnation. To judge guilty in a court of law is, is the idea there. In another usage, crisis is, uh, can, can refer to giving a reward, like uh, to be judged best in show in a competition. There's judgment. You have, you have judges. The Olympics are coming up this summer. How many of you like to watch the Olympics? I like, I like to watch the Summer Olympics. There's, a, uh, there's sports you never, ever watch. You don't even want to watch. But they're in the Olympics. They're getting the gold medals and stuff, and all of a sudden it's exciting. But the, the, the gymnastics probably the most, to me, I don't know. It's, the, it, it, it's so, uh, what is it, subjective? So you got judges who, they're doing this. They're judging, and they're giving points. And it's them watching somebody do a routine and then giving a 9.9 or 9.8, and they're just making a judgment. So that's, that's two different ways. One is condemnation. One is, is like to give a, give a reward or something. And, and so you were judged first place. You were judged second. You were judged, you, you know, a participation. You were here, um, whatever they do. So the Bible clearly says unbelievers will be judged in the first sense of condemnation. Revelation 20, verse 13 and 15 the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Ultimately, everyone who chooses to reject God's Son will face God at the great white throne judgment and be judged individually for their sins, resulting in the justice of God and eternity in the lake of fire for all of eternity. So that judgment, when, when, when that day comes, what a horrible, horrible time that will be as people stand before God and they're being judged and condemned because in that judgment, none of them are going to go, oh, okay, well, you weren't that bad, well, you can get in. At that point, if they're being judged at that point, they, they're, they're already under the condemnation. And they're simply being judged and going to be sent and cast into hell. So it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But it is the justice of God. It is the righteousness of God. And it won't be, no one can stand, no one will stand before God at that point and go, well, God, you, you didn't give me a chance. It wasn't fair. I didn't know. Um, I, God, God works and I don't understand it. But every person will be accountable to their choice, for their choice, and that will be answered there. On the other hand, believers will be judged in the other sense, reward or compensation. Those who have received God's gift of eternal life, i.e. true Christ followers, also will be judged individually at the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment not of sins, because those were judged at Calvary for the believer, but a judgment for service rendered to God after a person receives Christ. Paul describes this judgment succinctly, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That verse ought to scare us to death. 
It ought to motivate us. How many of you, if you know, if you know you're going to have to stand before other people with something? Here, here's what we did. If, here's what we did with the kids. Sometimes, Lynn, you remember when we did the little Christmas game and they were, they were trying to figure out, we did a little Christmas game with the kids. We had them, after they did their answers, we had them swap papers and let the others. And, and when one of the little, little kids, when we said that, she, she went, no, I don't want anybody to see my paper. So, we, you know, we, we don't want others to see, right? We don't want others to see or, or know that. You're not going, there's, there's never in your life going to be a time more transparent than that. Now, it's not that we're going to stand before God and be judged about, well, you know what, you, didn't, you just didn't measure up. You're going to hell. It's not that judgment. That's been taken care of. As a follower of Christ, that, that judgment seat of Christ is a time he judged what we have done since salvation. He's looked to see, are, have we been faithful to him? Because you're going to either receive war, rewards, or there may be, you may have thought you did a whole lot of things. Boy, that preacher Westbrook, man, he, he, pre- he was in ministry 22 years. But you know what? The motivation was all wrong in what he did. He didn't love me the way he was supposed to. And, and all the fluff will burn away. And so you, you end up with, that's it? It all boiled down to that? That's all that was, that was left of my ministry and my work for the Lord? But the, the point being... We ought to be working for God. Amen? We know we're going to stand before somebody's going to look at our paper. And I'm not sure all the believers that have ever lived won't be there. And we all watching. I don't think I can prove that, but I don't think you can prove that we're not. I don't know at that point it's going to be a, well, send in the next one. I think we all may be there. And we may all at one, individually see and see what others, how they lived for the Lord, and may celebrate and praise God for what they did for, for Him. Ought to motivate us. Paul tells us, Paul tells us that each one will be examined and further elaborates in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, that each uh, individual Christian will account for himself. Again, motivational right here. Uh, Romans 14, 10. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, maybe that just says it right there. We all. It could, all could be, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it we're all there together, okay? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Each one of us. What did you do? I saved your soul. I, I gave you life when you had no life and you had no hope. What, what did you do? You had 48 years after I saved you. What did you do with those 48 years? Well, there's 35 minutes in there, Lord, that I did for you. It ought to motivate us, folks. It, it ought to inspire us to, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a um, twisting your arm to serve God, we ought to serve Him out of faithfulness. We ought to serve Him because we love Him. We ought to serve Him out of grateful, out of a grateful heart. Scott kind of kind of agrees with what we talked about a little bit Monday night. Man, serving the Lord, and and the way that manifests, whatever God tells us to do, and that serving God typically it it really comes back a lot of times to serving other people. Serving other people. 
No, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to go sit on a mountaintop because I'm going to isolate from the world. I'm going to sit on a mountaintop and just worship the Lord and just read my Bible. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's God's... I can't find that in Scripture where He says that's how He wants us to serve Him. He wants us serving Him and thus we'll, we'll be serving other people. A careful study of the New Testament passages on the judgment seat of Christ indicates that in addition to receiving heavenly rewards for faithful service to God, some believers will actually suffer the loss of rewards as well. That is, each Christian has works that God calls him to do, and these works will be appraised at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me read that again. Each Christian has works that God calls him to do, and these works are to be appraised at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.13. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The idea of standing before the Lord to give account of our service to God as individual believers is surely what prompted Paul to say in the context of explaining the judgment seat of Christ. We just read 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known uh, to God, and I also trust are well known in, his, uh, in your conscience. The terror of the Lord, you know, when you think about this, there's two things. If we really believe in the judgment seat of Christ and we really believe in the great white throne judgment, you know, our, our, our compassion, because we are Christ followers and God indwells us, we know his heart. Scripture said that he, 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 he's, he, he doesn't desire that any, uh, that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's his desire. And, you know, for us, that ought to motivate us to get out here and tell other people about Christ. We shouldn't want anybody. You know, we think about, you know, you see things happen. You see sicknesses. You see different things that happen. And you go, man, I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And that's an earthly thing. That's a temporal thing. We go, boy, I, would, I just wouldn't wish that. That's a horrible thing. I wouldn't wish that. But the most horrible thing there is is to die in your sin. And, man, we ought to be so, so single-minded in our love for the Lord and His love for people. We ought, to be, we ought to be doing all we can, throwing out lifelines, throwing out life preservers, life vests, anything, anything, casting the rope out for somebody to grab onto. We ought to be sharing that. The last thing on our mind ought to be, well, they're going to laugh at me or they're going to persecute me. So what? We're talking about eternity. And it's ought to, it ought to motivate us to share the gospel. With the gracious and glorious gift of soul liberty, which God imparts so freely to every person, also comes the sober reality of a person's individual accountability to God. You get to choose. You get to choose but you'll answer for your choice. Even as a believer, you get to choose. Am I going to be faithful to the Lord? Am I going to strive for righteousness? Striving to be like Jesus is what we ought to do. We ought to want to be like Jesus. Now, can we? Not this side of glory. None of us have the ability to be perfect. We ought, to, we ought to strive to be like Jesus in every element of our life. And, and if we have a setback, you repent and you get back. You know, if you fall off the horse, what do you do? You dust off and get back on the horse. 
You fall in, in, a, in a, you make a mistake, you, you repent, you confess it, you repent, and you get back on the horse. You keep going. You don't, like we said Sunday, I guess, don't stop, don't quit, don't give up. This is a, this is a marathon. It's not a 10-yard dash. Man, we ought, to, we, we ought to be wanting to be faithful to God by serving Him, serving others. We want to do what it is He wants us to do. And He reveals what He wants us to do. People say, I want to know, I've shared this before, I want to know the will of God for my life. Well, it starts with, here's the will of God. You just follow the will of God, and it makes it real easy for Him to reveal to you the will of His will for your life. But if you're not even following the revealed will that He has in your life, in everybody's life, if you're not even submitted to that, I'll give one little story and we'll be done. So, I, so someone in my life, I can't say names because I never know when people are watching. I, 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 I gave you too many illustrations, and the other day one of my siblings told me, yeah, I'd jump in and watch some of your messages and stuff. And she said, I do it just to hear your voice because I haven't seen you in so long. And so I thought, oh, it's great. And I thought, oh, I hope, she, I, hope I hadn't said something stupid. Um, but someone in my life was... Um, had left his wife, and, and, and I can't get, can't. he left his wife because he didn't like the way her breath smelled and didn't like the way she cut her toenails. That was what he said publicly, said that. Wasn't going to reconcile with her. She was willing to. He left his wife, goes off because he had gotten a, into a little fling with, with this other woman and uh, ended up marrying this other woman. And you get to choose but you don't get to choose the consequences of your choices. And it was hell on earth for him for maybe two years. Absolute. You chose. And, and, but these two are like throwing each other's stuff out of their apartment, like just trashing it, throwing it out. That's how volatile it was. And would get on the phone with me and tell me, yeah, I believe the Lord is going to put us in ministry, ministering to couples. I thought, are you stupid? <laughs> Have you lost your mind? God ain't putting you in no ministry. Who are you going to minister to? Oh. Folks, we're going we're gonna to give account. Amen? And uh, you know, at the end of it, I've, I've shared this. I, I, I honestly, man, this, this is absolute truth. If we get a mansion in heaven, that's great. That doesn't motivate me. It doesn't. If the Lord chooses to give us homes like the NBA basketball stars build here on earth, something like that, I think it will be even better. But if that's what he chooses, if he chooses to give us something like that, praise God, I, I don't, I, I don't, that doesn't motivate me. I truly want to please God. And I want to hear just one time from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. If I hear that, you know, Mark Twain said, I can go 30 days on a single compliment. I can go eternity on well done, my good and faithful servant. I can go all eternity on hearing that from God. But if you want to hear well done, you got to well do. you got to well do. And so the challenge tonight is let's well do. Let's live out our faith. I don't know how it's going to come out, but we're going to be looking Sunday at uh, picking up back in Philippians and... Uh, Working out our salvation. 
Let me talk about that. It kind of ties in what we're saying tonight. Just be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. Serve Him. Do what it is He's leading you to do, what He's calling you to do. Find the basics and do the basics and follow Him faithfully, and then He's going to open up the doors for you to do whatever it is He wants you to do. He'll, he'll, he'll make it really, really easy. really does. We make it hard because we want what we want. We get through with the we get, want what we want, and let's start going with what does God want. It gets real easy. It's real easy. So just be faithful. Amen? Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these, these folks, this family. I love these people. I love this church. Thankful for, uh, Lord, the blessing of, uh, of just being a part of this and what you're doing right here in Geneva. I'm humbled by that. Lord, I feel so inadequate for that so often. But I thank you that you use us when we're faithful. You use us when we surrender ourselves to you. And I pray that's the desire of every person in this room, every person in our church. It's just to please you, to be faithful to you. God, would we just, we just do what it is you want us to do. So when we stand before you, we will all stand before you. Lord, we'll have, we'll have something of worth to offer you uh, that we've done in this life for you, for your service. So Lord, thank you for that. I pray you'll bless now as we dismiss. Be with, be with every need that we've lifted up tonight. Again, those that haven't been lifted, but Lord, you know them all. God, I just pray you'll bless each situation and uh, have your will and way. Have your will and way in our life. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.